The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So we're in the 36th week in the book of John. And, uh, man, have just loved the reminder week by week that... That the God of the universe, this is good news and we forget it. The God of the universe became a human being. He moved into our neighborhood. That's why we call it God in the neighborhood. I mean, it's like he became a human being. He moved in among us so that no matter who we are, no matter our upbringing, where we've come from, that we can know the God of the universe. We can know life. The end of the book it says these things were written that you might have, that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. And that's why we're going through this book so that increasingly the life that is in knowing Jesus might become the life that we live day by day. So as we come to the end of John 17 today, we're coming to, uh, you know, just an incredible prayer where Jesus uh, he's very soon to be betrayed, go to the cross and um, die for us, our sins, and then to be risen and return to heaven. And so it's at this moment before he's about ready to leave that he prays. And so this is a, an incredibly important prayer as his time is short. And so what he prays is important. Last week, Daniel uh, looked at the verses uh, 6 to 19 where Jesus prayed for his disciples. Today, we're going to look where Jesus prays for us. Um, And so let's read, and then we'll get started. John 17, verse 20, Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his immediate disciples, He says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, okay? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray. Father, Um, 
we need your help this morning. I need your help to communicate clearly and in the power of the Spirit the words that you want me to communicate. And we all need, Father, your help to hear what you want us to hear, to have our thinking brought in line with your truth. Father, for our lives to reflect that truth. So I just ask your Holy Spirit to lead this time right now for your glory. Amen. A man by the name of John Shore uh, wrote a book on how non-Christians perceive Christians. And in order to write that book, he sent or posted a notice on Craigslist all over the country asking non-Christians to send him a short personal statement that they would like Christians to read. Okay? He says that within three days, he had in his inbox over 300 emails from non-Christians across the country. He said, reading them was one of the more depressing experiences of my life. I had expected their cumulative sentiment to be one mostly of anger, but if you boil down to a single feeling that was most often expressed in their statements, it would be this. Why do Christians hate us so much? You hear that? Why do Christians, that's non-Christians writing, why do Christians hate us so much? And so there's a random sample I'm just going to give you. Um, and he says, if you're a Christian, they make for a mighty saddening read, or they certainly should anyway. So listen to these. This is from somebody in Denver. The main thing that baffles and angers me about Christians is how they can understand so little about human nature. That when in their fervor to convert another person, they tell that person, as they inevitably do in one way or another, you're bad, wrong, and evil. I'd encourage you not to start a conversation that way. They actually expect that person to agree with them. It pretty much guarantees that virtually the only people Christians can ever realistically hope to convert are those who tra- with tragically low self-esteem. And what this person is putting across is how arrogant I think we can come across, even though we have the truth, how arrogant we can come across. Another person from Denver said, I feel that Christians have got it all wrong. It seems to me that they've created the very thing that Jesus was against, separatism. Think about that. Somebody from Seattle wrote, I am often distressed at the way some Christians take as a given that Christians and Christianity define goodness. Many of us non-Christians make a practice of doing good. We too have a well-developed ethical sense and are devoted to making the world a better place. Christians heartily have a monopoly on what's right or good or just. Somebody from Tacoma, Washington, if you're familiar with that place. Christians 
seem to have lost their focus on Jesus's core message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody from Atlanta. I have no problem whatsoever with God or Jesus, only Christians. It's been my experience that most Christians are belligerent, disdainful, and pushy. And then one more from Phoenix. I don't know whether or not most of the Christians I come across think that they're acting and being like Jesus was. But if they do, they need to go back to their Bibles and take a closer look at Jesus. It's painful, isn't it? Um, let me ask you, do you think maybe this is how you're perceived? <laughs> or how we are perceived? By those that we come in contact with, whether it's at school or work or neighborhoods, do they perceive us this way? Wow. Um, you know, the very thing <laughs> that we're called to do to attract people to Jesus. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about us being like salt, that as we are among people, they'd be thirsty (laughs) for Jesus. Uh, That we're like light, just opening people's eyes to see the life that, that they should long for. Instead of attracting people to Jesus, I mean, these statements make it clear that often we're driving them away. And so this passage, it makes this passage so important because it's almost like Jesus anticipated, and certainly he did, he was God, that he anticipated this. And so as, as we come to this final praying for us before he returns to heaven, we see that this is really what's on his heart. Um, the big question that we're looking at is what does Jesus pray for us? I mean, at this important part in his life, just before he leaves to go to heaven, what does he pray for us? And if I were to capture it by one phrase, it's that Jesus prays that our lives will reflect his life. Think about that. That our lives will reflect his life, and which is exactly the opposite of what one of these people said. If... Uh, I don't have a problem with God and Jesus. It's just Christians. That our lives will reflect his lives. So I'd like us to come here. And Jesus comes to the point really quickly as he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am am in you, that we would be one. And he's talking to us, that we would be one. If you're taking notes, I, th- this is what I think Jesus is saying, that you and me would be experiencing together the same oneness, the same relationship that the Father and the Son are experiencing and have been experiencing from eternity that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And it, 
And Daniel began coming a few weeks ago talking about this divine dance. And I want to kind of use that theme throughout this message again as kind of in the same way that you get this beautiful picture of, uh, I think back to waltzes in old movies, you know, where you got this ornate setting and, and you have all these people in the midst of this waltz and they're they're in rhythm with one another and they're in coordination, the opposite of what would be happening if I were demonstrating a waltz for you this morning. And in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Spirit from eternity have been in perfect submission, incredible affection, and and unhindered communication from eternity, that communication, that affection, that submission, that as we observe that, we say, that's oneness. That's intimacy. And that's exactly what Jesus prays that that we in that same way that from eternity they've been in that communication, that affection and that submission, that in the same way as we're observing them and as we've read about and as we've seen that dance, that we in the same way would want to imitate that with one another. There'd be that same unhindered communication, perfect submission, mutual submission and incredible affection with one another. But that's often not the way it is, right? Just listen to these statistics, and um, they just show how far we've strayed from Jesus' prayer. The United Nations statistics say that in 1989, get this, there were over 23,000 competing and often contradictory Protestant denominations. Doesn't sound like one, do you? <laughs> over 23,000 just Protestant denominations. In 1982, Paul Baird in the World Christian Encyclopedia estimated that every year 270 new Protestant denominations are added. That's five a week, five new denominations. People not getting along, denominations splitting, separating. And so in 2001, there were 33,280 denominations, even more than he estimated would happen. I mean, 17 years later, I don't know, 40,000? As we continue to not reflect what Jesus prays for here, we're not doing a good job. I mean, imitating this beautiful communication and affection and submission. It almost seems impossible, doesn't it? How, how can it happen? Notice Jesus tells us how can it ha- that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So you see, it's not just us trying to imitate their perfect submission and their unhindered communication and their incredible affection, this this beautiful rhythm of relationship between the Father and the Son. It's not just us imitating, but it's us participating. And and this is the the picture that I get, and I hope you can kind of get in your mind whether or not you're a dancer, because I'm not a dancer and, and I like the picture. It's it's not this picture of this this couple dancing and an incredible rhythm of 
relationship as they dance together. And Cindy and I standing over, over here watching them and saying, oh, we can do that. And we're trying to do it, but I'm tripping all over her and, and it's not happening. But it's this. It's as the Father and the Son, Jesus and the Father and the Father, it's as, as, the, as they're this communication and submission and affection is happening, this dance is happening, it's me coming and joining in on that dance. If you've seen those, you know, waltzes where they're trading partners and this beautiful joining in and participating and as I join in with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in this intimacy of relationship, submitting to them and communicating with them and and loving them that then then my wife joins in with me as I'm dancing with them and Cindy joins in with me and then together this communication and affection and submission is taking place so that the same beautiful rhythm of relationship that's happening between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit then begins to happen between my wife and I. And so instead of me being bugged by the fact that she was late when we were supposed to leave yesterday, I'm just making an illustration. I'm not saying it happened. Or she's irritated with me because, you know, 10 years ago I made a mistake, you know? Um, Okay. Actually, I had to apologize apologize to her two days ago, right? Because I came home cranky. And but as we join together with the rhythm of relationship that's going on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then that becomes our relationship becomes a part of the rhythm of that relationship. And then we we bring our kids into that relationship, and we bring you into that relationship. And the way this can happen is the horizontal unity, our relationships, our unity, our oneness with one another begins to happen increasingly as a vertical unity happens, right? As we're in this rhythm of relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then that same relationship can happen with one another. When do we get irritated with one another. I know when it happens for me is when I get zeroed in on your imperfections, right? On something you did that bothered me because uh, your theology is a little different than mine. Or you like a little different kind of worship music than I like. Or maybe because I think you're a snob, or you think I'm a snob, okay? And we get zeroed in on one another and instead of like, instead of it being like 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered, right? Love doesn't take into account a, a wrong suffered because there's that rhythm of love and communication and submission with me and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and that passes on to you. Why is this so important? 
Notice that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, this beautiful rhythm of relationship, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's, that's, that's why it's so important that all of these little comments that we read earlier by, these, by non-Christians about Christians that it wouldn't be that way, that the world may believe that you have sent me because something supernatural and incredible is happening that they can see and they, got, they say, that's got to be God because I know that those people are different and, and they shouldn't be getting along and they should be, they should be conflicting and fighting and separating but they're not. There's this incredible, perfect, mutual submission and growing communication and increasing affection because it's flowing out of their relations with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's passing on. Unity shows that there is something real and supernatural going on. Is that what people see when they see us? You know, anybody can be ornery, right? Like I said, I was 10 years ago once. I mean, anybody can be ornery, can be feisty, can be disagreeable. I mean, we're all that way. I can come home not feeling good and I'm cranky. It's easy to be that way, whether it's in a marriage. And I tell you, we, Cindy and I had the privilege a couple of nights ago of meeting with a couple that, to begin pre-marriage counseling with them. And as we shared with them, they mean, Cindy and I are about as different as you can be. Uh, I was going to make a snide comment, but I'm not going to. So, <laughs> I mean, we're about as different as you can be. I mean, it's incredible from a world standpoint that we're still married. Because we're so different. I mean, we look at everything differently. And yet it's it's because instead of looking at one another and that driving us apart from one another, we've together joined in this beautiful, unhindered communication and perfect submission and incredible affection. So what's going on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? We've joined in with that. Instead of looking at one another's faults and that driving us apart, it's driven us closer to him to depend on him and find our communication and affection and, and ability to submit to one another in him. And so it's overflowed in something people can look at after 36 years and say, God had to do that. It wasn't Dave and Cindy. And that's what needs to happen. I've given them the glory that you gave me. Remember? All that the Father has, he's given to the Son. All that the Son has, he's given to the Spirit. And all that the Spirit has, he's given to us that, that we might be one. That they might be one as we are one. We can go to the next verse. I in them and you in me. You see that, how we've joined that relationship. Again, so that they may be brought to complete unity and then the world will know that you sent me. Man, that's what a world is waiting to see is marriages 
and relationships that are supernatural where people love one another and aren't fighting one another and separating from one another. And then Jesus in verse 24 prays one more thing. He not only prays for unity on earth, but he prays for glory. Notice, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. To see my glory. You know, as Jesus is about ready to leave earth and go back to heaven, it's not like, hasta la vista, see you guys later, I'm out of here, you're on your own. But even as he leaves and he prays for our unity, he prays, notice, that we would see his glory. (laughs) That we would see his glory. That we would see who he is, his majesty, his power, his beauty, his love, his righteousness, his holiness. And ultimately that we would see it in a way that even now we can't see it, but we'll see it because we'll be with him. I want those you have given me to be with me. And so Jesus prays that not only would we be involved in this incredible rhythm of relationship, this divine dance with him now, but ultimately that we would experience the fullness of it with him in heaven for eternity. That we might be with him and see his glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. You know, see, Jesus' glory goes back to eternity. Glorious is what Jesus is. And he, he laid aside, he, it's like, his glory was veiled as he took upon himself humanity and and we couldn't see that glory, the incredible eternal glory of the creator God of the universe. But Jesus is saying, man, that's what I want them to see and that's what I want them to experience. Not only being a part of that rhythm of relationship with me now, but for eternity experiencing the glory of who I really am. As we come to the end, so Jesus prays for unity. He prays for glory. And then he makes a promise in verse 25 to the Father. This isn't really a promise to us, but as he concludes his prayer, notice he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. So as Jesus is leaving earth, it's like he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to make myself known to them. And he, and he has, as we saw in John 14, 15, and 16, through the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit passing on what the Father passed on to the Son and the Son of the Spirit. So the Spirit even even right now, is wanting to woo you, to draw you into this intimacy of relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's wanting, even right now, us to be drawn to want to be a part of that dance in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them so that all together you and me with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit would be demonstrating incredible 
unity, intimacy, and communication, affection, and submission. So the world will look on and say, man, I want to know that God that they claim to know. Man, isn't that beautiful? Unity. Love for your spouse. Mutual submission. Unhindered communication. Deepening affection for your fellow Christian, that cranky person that you're not sitting next to because you're cranky and you don't want to be, you know. There's a division between you. You know, as we as we close here, and we reflect on what Jesus is praying for us. I mean, I, I just want us to ask ourselves, what do we need to do about this? I think there's some of us that need to. We need to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been, I've been focused on other people's faults. And I've been separating from brothers and sisters in Christ because I've been looking at them and I haven't been looking to you and I haven't been a part of that rhythm of relationship with you. I haven't been meditating on your truth. I haven't been in communication daily with you. I haven't been dancing with you. And so all that's happening with my fellow brothers and sisters is conflict and separation and and fighting. I was heartbroken to hear a couple of weeks ago that Somebody felt they couldn't come to the refuge church because they'd had a falling out with somebody at the refuge church and so they felt they had to go to another church. Man, instead of saying, Jesus, help me to bring me into that rhythm of relationship with you, the Father and the Son and the Holy. Teach me how to submit to my brothers and sisters, how to love them, how to communicate with them as I'm dancing with you and learning that from you, that that would be passed on to others. I don't know if you're having a problem with your your spouse or with a close friend or a fellow worker. What are we going to do about what Jesus prays for us? Just a couple of phrases to end with. I think... Jesus wants us to pursue knowing him and knowing him that overflowing to one another that will show people that Jesus is real. I think Jesus wants us to pursue intimacy with him so flowing out of that intimacy would be unity with one another. It'll follow. And then people will know and they'll see that Jesus is real. I just want you to, as I pray, I want us to have in our minds the beauty of that dance relationship that's going on, the rhythm of relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and ask God, how can I join into that with you through prayer, through time in your word, through just being still and know that he's God joining in that relationship so in the rhythm of that relationship intimacy with God that'll overflow and make a difference in our relationships with one another let's pray oh father we are um, we're we're humans (laughs) and we have all 
um, struggled in relationships and we've been hard to get along with and we've said unkind words and we've uh, let people down and we've been cranky and we've been proud and we've been focused on other people's faults. Oh, Father, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Father, draw us afresh into intimacy of relationship with you. That with our eyes fixed on you and taking them off of other people, Father, we would just together be in relationship in a way that the world sees what a beautiful thing it is to know Jesus. Amen.